I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of Ramble Meets is sponsored by Bet365. Andy Brassel, writer, broadcaster on European football and typer of things on my knee at airports. Andy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us in the Ramble Meets seat. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and I think clearly a lot of people who listen to the Football Ramble will also listen to On the Continent and will know all about what you bring to the table. But why don't you give listeners, and me really, a little pricey of how you came to be where you are today? Uh, well, after uh, leaving university, which was kind of to put off getting a job, perhaps, yeah. um, I... Uh, I, was, I was putting on DJ events, doing a bit of temping in offices because I didn't really want to do a, a proper job. And um, I saw this advert one day. I guess I must have been about 24, something like that. Uh, so this is not the sort of late 70s? <laughs> <laughs> 1981, please. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I, I, it, was, it was for a brand new uh, European football magazine. And uh, which turned out to be Champions, the yeah. now defunct Champions League magazine. And um, I, I thought, you know what? I've got none of the qualifications, but I could do that. What were the qualifications? Like journalism degree or that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or more experience, okay. basically. Now, I'd, I'd written stuff for the local paper when I was a teenager, like match reports on um, on Wimbledon, my my team. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd enjoyed that. But at that point, I couldn't really... I couldn't really see how I could do something really creative with it, actually, because when I was writing stuff, even as a teenager, I thought, well, and I started doing it when I was like 12. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, hang on. The thing is, when you read a, a, a match, when you read about a match in three different newspapers, given the like particular stance and tone of that particular newspaper, I can pretty much predict what it'll be already. Mm. And I didn't figure out how I could do something different to that. And I didn't want to do that. So that's what sort of, I, I guess my, my mum and dad thought I would be a, a journalist. And I, I sort of <clears throat> drifted away from that by the time I was at university because I couldn't figure out how I could, how I could make a difference, how I could do something how you a, find a bit more place, differently especially. to, yeah, how I could do something a bit more differently to something else. And I, I, I didn't want to just be a, 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 a job in like match report or, or, or whatever. So anyway, I saw this advert uh, in, in this magazine and I thought, well, I'm, I'm not qualified, but you know, I'll, I'll have a punt. I think it sounds quite quite interesting. This is me going straight. That's the weird thing, that this is my responsible grown-up job option. Right. Rather than Because before my... that, you were mucking around with music and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, exa okay. exactly. So um, I applied for the job, and I got a letter back saying, well, you haven't got any of the qualifications. Yeah, I knew that. But um, we really like your application, so why don't you start contributing stuff to us on a freelance basis? So that was the first time I thought of that. Um, I was travelling about a bit at the time because I was 
learning and improving languages. So I wrote a couple of bits for for Champions. Um, from there, uh, I ended up uh, writing a book on uh, a year in the life of the Champions League, uh, which was called All or Nothing. And I um, started doing uh, World Football Phone-In with Tim Vickery on uh, Five Live. I mean, I, I wrote to them just on the off chance and said, uh, well, you don't have anyone really does European football on your show. I reckon I could do it. What do you reckon? And they said, well, all right, come in Friday. And I, I ended up going in every fortnight for the next seven years. Mm. Uh, and uh, working with Tim Vickery is just... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an absolute game changer because he's someone who, whereas if I go back to the beginning and mm. I, I couldn't see how I could do anything differently because, you know, I was a kid and I didn't really have the, have the vision. If, if you can like look at someone who like can, has, has, has made totally his own niche, but understands that football is, not just an ending to itself, but uh, a, a part of life, a part of society, mm-hmm. and knows how to explain that. Give it context. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Historical, uh, political, societal context. That That is an absolute difference maker. And how he tells the story. And, you know, that's, that's what I love so much about about radio and having having worked, like, written radio, television. I think the difference between radio and podcasts is just there's there's an opportunity for a certain intimacy that that you just yeah. don't get in, <clears throat> in in other forms i'd agree with that yeah and so so um it's a big job doing the, the world football phone for the whole of europe i'm probably one of the few people out there who's had a go at it themselves literally on that show um which i found preposterously difficult and something <laughs> I, I never wanted to repeat again and luckily the listeners and the production staff agreed but how how did you make that leap from i mean how, i think from for a lot of people and i don't want to make this too hagiographic and be too too nice to you because that's not my style great word thanks um i don't even know if i pronounced it right uh, <laughs> well, uh, but, nor do i <laughs> but anyway the beauty of it. but people will know you as someone with an extraordinarily large um, knowledge of European football, um, brain the size of a planet, all the rest of it, everyone here, for example, thinks you're a dream to work with purely because you're so, you just know so much. How did that? How did that knowledge sort of manifest itself? How did you gain that knowledge? Is it is it bracketed in with the idea that you can speak other languages as well so that gives you a different insight into the cultures of different nations or is it just something you you are very good at retaining information yeah i'm not really good at retaining stuff in like real life like remember to buy milk and right okay all that okay. sort of stuff so, okay so i think that homer simpson, well, nor am i but i've not got this i've not got this payoff <laughs> i think that homer simpson thing about you know the, the boy every, every new thing i learn pushes something, something else out, yeah. out of like, my brain for example your son's birthday or something <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's it's really wanting to wanting to learn all the time and wanting to yeah. know stuff all the time, being I mean, interested. Yeah, I mean, if, if I think like, but you didn't start with this knowledge; you gained it in some way. Yeah, of course. And I, if I think back to the beginning, I, th- I think you know when I when I was first getting into football, when I was like eight or nine years old. I mean, it, th- this is the bit that makes me sound like I'm 102. Mm. Is the, the fact that when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s. Um, 
there was nowhere near the amount of football there is on television at the moment. Yeah. And that's why for people like us, I guess, and, and James Horncastle and mm. other people that, that, that like football Italia on channel four is, is such a, a touchstone Yeah, because to have like, not just like free football, which seems like bonkers nowadays, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But like, uh, you know, to, to totally immerse yourself in another league it was yeah. was was amazing. I mean, you know, for for most people, they didn't even get regular English football on the television at that point. But certainly, when when I was first getting into football in in the late eighties, there was mid to late eighties, there was there was hardly any European football on television. Yeah. You know, you might get the odd bit on sports night or whatever. And I used to like lap up those little bits because I grew up in a council estate and I didn't really go anywhere. So to me, it was like my window to the world. Yeah. And, you know, if I saw like. I don't know Real Madrid playing uh, Legia Warsaw or whatever. I'd go to my mum. Oh, where are they? And she'd go, "Well, there's an atlas there. Have a look." Yeah. And I used to pour over the atlas and yeah. look at like, where these teams and and where where these where these different players were were, were from. And it, it absolutely fascinated me. Um, so and, and I, I never really lost that. I don't think because. Like you know, it's, it's nice to be appreciated. It's, it's nice for people to say stuff like, "Oh, yeah, you know everything" or whatever. But I don't, yeah, because no, no one knows everything. And I think it's really important that you constantly remind yourself of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I end up like covering so many um, different uh, championships and players and clubs is just because I want to know more all the time. Mm. I'm I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't know everything. That yeah. there's more to find out. There's people who know more about me than particular leagues, and I want to listen to them. I want to learn yeah. off them, and I, I want to uh, see the teams and the cities and speak to the players. And yeah, like language feeds into that in, in a bit, and I think it helps you get under the skin a little bit. But having said that, I, I think without speaking any decent German, I've, I've, I've managed to do that there. Turkish at some point yeah maybe yeah. but you know the Turkish Super League absolutely fascinates me because the culture and the clubs and the, the football and the cities interest me so you know there's there's always more you can learn and there's always mm. more you can know and and yeah that, that's that's why I have that outlook that I do and presumably it's a bit of a self-fulfilling thing right so the moment you get the World Football Phoning gig which for those people who don't know it is it still going by the way what? yeah it is yeah. Yeah. for those people who don't know it's it excellent. is is Tim Vickery takes care of South American football Andy or whoever now does it for instead of Andy um, takes care of European football and people are invited from all over the world to call in and ask a question of the pundits. Mm. Uh, and um, <clears throat> so my, my self-fulfilling point was just that once you know you've got that gig and you're doing it every week, you, you're going to learn more and more as you go because you're going to research, you're going to work towards it, you're going to build up towards that fortnightly Friday. Yeah, I mean, the standard of questions is 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 amazing on that and it's it's so wide-ranging. And, you know, we, we get that really on the... On the mailbag, yeah. Even even if it's even if it's only about Europe, because everyone has their own little thing niche like. interests, yeah. Yeah, 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 don't they? Or or something that just they think, oh, I wonder about that. You know, it's the same as same as me with the Atlas, thinking, oh, I don't know anything about that. How would you approach on World Football phoning? How would you approach the situation if it was a question asked that you didn't know? Just say you don't know. But oh, the I problem mean, is, though, if that happens too often, people are going to start thinking, well, what the hell are you doing there? Oh, sure. But <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't happen to me that often. Good. But, uh, you know, I, I just think you, you have to be honest. And you, I think people know if you're making it up. Mm. I, I think people would know if you're, you're, you're making it up. If, if someone's busking something, mm. it's 
pretty obvious pretty quickly, I think. And, you know, like I said, there's no shame in not knowing stuff. No one knows any everything. Mm. Uh, so, and you know, you get people ringing in, just like you get people writing into the to, to the mailbag here, where you think, yeah, I, I, I don't know anything about that. Maybe you can tell me. You mm. know, so, so say if, if you're someone who goes and, you know, watches Kazim Pasha every week, you obviously know more about Kazim Pasha than me. So why why don't you tell me a bit about them? I'm interested to know what 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 you yeah. know about about them. And you know, I, I think I just know that they're in Turkey. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Erdogan's team. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Erdogan's Very team. important okay. to know that. Come okay, on. Good. Uh, and I, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because it shouldn't just be like a closed community of. Um, of writers or, or, or broadcasters or whatever. Hmm. The fact is, there are loads of really knowledgeable, passionate, um, interested and interesting fans out there who have a totally different perspective hmm. on their team or the teams that they go and watch than, than you have. So, like, getting their knowledge and getting their feel for it as well is, is vital, I think. Have you gone from being someone who is a proponent of what used to be considered to be quite a niche interest, i.e. the World Football Phone was on at 2am on a Friday night slash Saturday morning? Yeah, I know. I still haven't recovered the sleep yet. Yeah, exactly. And it's <laughs> very, very tricky, of course, to because of the availability. And I know that's sort of broken down and being more fragmented this season, but generally speaking, the availability of European football and access to it has become a lot more widespread. Yes. And I think it's much more mainstream now to like European football. Yeah. Um, so you've benefited from that, um, really, I, haven't you? I suppose, yeah. Um, like, if, if, if more people are interested and more people want to hear about it and discuss it, then great. But, you know, I, th- I think... It's really, a, a lot of that is is the Premier League because the Premier League is is so incre- incredibly cosmopolitan. Yeah. So the fact that you know there are, are players coming to your club from different cultures and players who might be coming to your club from different cultures that you read about in the paper or or, or online that you you want to know about um, that is is something different. But talking about the that the, the, the sort of environment that I grew up in and how incredibly different that is I mean you know it was quite monochrome because not when I I started watching football not only um, was there not that much football on television uh, but also the, we were banned from Europe of course English clubs were banned I was from Europe that point with, only. Absolutely, with, with, yeah. with Heysel that's right so yeah. we were completely cut off from that and like it's still one of my biggest regrets is like we, Wimbledon weren't able to Welcome teams to the Cup Winners' Cup in 1988-89. Well, actually, my biggest regret is that Gabriel Batistuta never signed, but that's a different story (laughs) that I I don't want to get into here. (laughs) Batistuta and fashion, it would have been incredible. That's uh, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah, Perhaps with the great man himself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) Batistuta. But, like, when when I take my kids to school now, and you, you go into the playground... And there'll be, of course, kids with Arsenal and Chelsea and United shirts. Are you still doing match reports of the kids' games and everything? Do you still do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, intensely critical. Yeah, yeah. But um, also, you'll see kids wearing Barcelona shirts, Real Madrid shirts, Paris Saint-Germain shirts. Yes, uh, of course, yeah. And it's, it's not shocking anymore no. like like you know when if, if it I was, used to be quite exotic when yeah, you were a kid yeah exactly if you'd I was, mean if you've been on holiday somewhere exactly yeah. exactly you'd, you'd think that wouldn't mm. you whereas now that's not the case because you know it's like when people talk about um 
say, say Jaden Sancho going over to Dortmund and he's made this massive leap. And in a sense, yes, he has. He's, he's, he's done brilliantly. But I would say for people like Jaden Sancho and of, of his generation and younger generations, Dortmund and Bayern and Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid and Barcelona, et cetera, et cetera, all these clubs are as much part of their consciousness their football consciousness as United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, etc. That's definitely changed. Yeah. That's definitely changed. Do you think... And that's great because you you know what? That like my children's friends ask me, ask me questions. They're interested. Yeah. Yeah. In your travels around covering games, just picking up on that point you've made there and maybe expanding it, have you seen the homogenization of, of the football going experience around Europe because of this? Is this something that works both ways? To an extent, I think because can you have a really genuinely different experience going to Dortmund that you do in in London? Yeah, I think you can De- definitely yeah. definitely um, because it is what it is, and especially in Germany, uh, I think the fans have far more of a a power really, and they realise that that power of how the experience is shaped, and you know you've mm. seen their protests against Monday Night Football, for yeah. example, yeah, yeah. which for us. I think for a lot of people in England seems like totally bizarre because Monday night football has been like part of the English football landscape for like 25 years yeah. now. And they're like, well, it's a pain in the ass. You have to take half a day off and mm. or, or or a day off if, mm. if, if you're an away fan. And, uh, you know, it's just nice to have some nights where there aren't football and you can live a normal life as, yeah. Well, yeah, as, yeah. as, as, as well. But, but it seems like, for example, UEFA in their Champions League competition, and I might have this wrong and you'd better, better put me right, that they feel it feels to me that they want to make that experience the same wherever you go. So you get the certain the UEFA govern the rules about what can happen around the game. They want the Champions League anthem. They want um, almost like a unified experience across the board wherever you are in Europe. Is that fair? But I I think that's something that you can say is the case with the clubs as as, as well. Right. Like like you were, you were saying really that I th- for me it's the fact that. You know, the the Premier League is the ultimate commercial template. And so to an extent, all big clubs especially, from whichever country, want to copy that. And, you know, maybe they can't in terms of infrastructure, in terms of finance, but certain things like goal music, for example, which I know will be a bet noir of a lot of people (laughs) listening to to this. Personally, I don't have a massive problem with it. Um, You know, that's something that you've, you've seen more and more and more but mm. you know football cultures share stuff anyway mm. even if it's you know songs sung to the tune of Sloop John B you know, yeah, 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 is, yeah, is, yeah. is something that goes all, all, all across the world and in a, in a way I think that's not such a terrible thing I think that, that like, like in, in between any societies and any cultures the things that unify us are much much more common than the things yeah. that divide us and um I think that's the beautiful thing. Like when you go and see football abroad, and it's always been the beautiful thing when you go and see football abroad, that it, it, it is definable in its own way. Like when I think of Dortmund, you know, you think of the yellow wall and every time I go to Dortmund, I think, you know, this is what all football going experience should be like. When you think about, you know, Benfica flying their eagle, mm. um, you know, whatever the the, mm-hmm. the situation is, sheer noise at Galatasaray, any of those things, I think the brilliant thing, you 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 go there for the first time and you think, oh, wow, this is incredible. This is like nothing I've ever seen before. But then you'll see other little things that are very much like your football experience. So actually, 
is kind of the same but different, which sure. is which is great. I know what you mean. What do you think of the general standard of coverage of European football in this country um, broadly? I mean, so you ha- you have the mainstream journalists, the tabloid journalists, perhaps the broadsheet ones to an extent as well, who will go over for big Champions League games when mm. an English team is involved or when they're invited to comment or, or cover a story that will involve a player coming from the continent, perhaps to the Premier League. What do you think the general standard of the coverage is of that? Because I think you're in a fairly unique position to, to judge that. And if it's poor, does that frustrate you? I think it's generally very good. Okay. I'm not sure if that's the answer that you really you're want. You're too yeah. nice to everyone all the time. I'm trying to tease <laughs> something out of you, mate. That's what I'm trying to do. No, I, I, think, it's, I think it's very good. And I, I think... You know, the, one of the most frustrating uh, f- phrases in life is "stay in your lane," yeah. isn't it? Yeah, which, course, is, yeah, which yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's ridiculous for those of us who don't actually have a lane yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> Stay on your grassy bank. Yeah, I'm thinking it'd be nice to have one lane, <laughs> but I, I think the, the thing is because um, culture is, is is not so separate because like global culture is. It is such a melange. I think the the fact is, you you it's it's impossible to just stick to one thing. So even if you're someone who passionately believes the the Premier League is the best league in the world, and you're not really that interested in other leagues mm. because of the Champions League, because of different players coming over, you, you couldn't you're sort of forced into it. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't just stick to one thing if you try. Nothing's in a vacuum. And so, and so I think there are very few journalists out there who, who don't have at least some inkling of knowledge even if it's not their speciality mm. of of European football so in turn I think that makes all the rest of us raise the standards a, a little bit so yeah. I, I think I think that's something that's, that's that's really really important but um you know it's I, th- I think as, as well the standard is so good nowadays not just because there are good writers and broadcasters out there and there are different ways to to get your message out there it's not just like you know, there are a couple of channels. There are very good bloggers and podcasters and people who make videos. So, you know, you have to not just assume knowledge, but actually know stuff. Yeah, because so people will just elect to consume other people's stuff otherwise. Yeah, ex- yeah. Ex- exactly, because yeah. it's all out there. It's all, it's all mm. at their fingertips. I think because people can watch football from all over the world, and, you know, it's something we bring up, or I bring up again and again with Ronaldo and Messi, like they're the first best players in the world who we've been able to watch every week. Yeah. And that really colours our our perception of them. Mm. In a way, it kind of makes us desensitised to, the, to their brilliance. But, yeah. but, but that's a, a, another story. But the fact is, because people who are even relatively casual observers up until this season with the whole TV schism, mm. generally people can see football from all over the world easily. It, it, you know, if, if they've just got an internet connection. So they're going to be more critical. They're going to be more demanding mm. and they should be. Mm. And so for, for that reason, I think the amount of people who write on European football at the moment and, and speak on it, you, you have to, you have to know something. You have to know something. You, you can't just, you've got to be bringing something yeah, to the it, table. It can't just be the top line. You've got to know more. You've, you've got yeah. to go into greater depth because otherwise, like I said, like when you're, when you're making something up or busking something, people know straight away. Yeah. They know straight away. And the knowledge that's that's out there. And so but like I said, from speaking to like my kids' friends to like, you know, if if, if you start speaking to someone who who like recognizes you or whatever, they're all so knowledgeable. 
the, the general knowledge, not just of, of young people, but football fans in general and consumers mm. of, of football media in general is so much higher nowadays that you, you oh, can't get away with being half-assed. I, I feel like, and, and my, my story is a little bit different to yours, and obviously we're not here to hear about my story, but I, I feel oh, like, go on. I, no, I feel like the way that it's, the, for the show, our flagship show, which is more of an entertainment show, I feel mm. like it's not just the knowledge, it's the way we package it and deliver it as well. Sure. We have to give it context, we have to make sure. it entertaining, right? I, I would go one step further than you on when you meet people who listen to you, to the shows or read your work in your case or whatever. I think, I would say the majority of them know more about football than I do, without question. Right. Um, but then again, it's not really my job to deliver insight from all over Europe to, to people, so I guess it's slightly different. Look, we're going to take a quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the listeners. <laughs> You're literally locked but in. I shouldn't go anywhere. <laughs> no, no, because the, the second half might be quite boring. Uh, after which, uh, we'll talk a bit more with Andy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Welcome back to this Ramble Meets episode um, sponsored by Bet365. I'm here with one of Europe's, nay, the world's, certainly most present pundits and, and most loved, I'm going to say, most loved, Mr. Andy Brassel. Andy, um, I wanted to change tack slightly and ask you a bit, put you on the spot perhaps, because I think people will, I'm, I'm second guessing, but I think people will be interested in sort of the machinations and the and the and the inside track on on what it is to to do the job you do what's the most difficult situation you found yourself in doing the job you do traipsing all over europe covering football most difficult situation yeah that's a, that's a tough one i definitely know the situation that I was most scared in i'll do um i was uh filming i guess it must have been 2015 
and I was uh, filming a documentary with Copper 90 in Greece about um, Greek football and the economic crisis. Still out there, just YouTube it. Yeah. And uh, we were going to a Saturday night game between uh, Panathinaikos and uh, Olympiakos. Huge derby, obviously. Tasty. Yeah. And uh, the, the Olympiakos... Bigger than Wimbledon Palace? Well, it is now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Olympiakos players uh, come straight up to the ground, leaving it as late as possible to arrive. Off the coach they come. And onto the pitch uh, for, you know, the pre-match pad about. So they come right. straight off the pitch, through the, through the tunnel and onto the pitch. A couple of them get phones out to film a little bit. Straight of off the coach. Yeah, they've, they've, they've been on the pitch for about uh, 45 seconds. Right. And Alfred Finbogason... Uh, is hit in the back of the leg by a flare. And uh, after after that, a bit of chatting, off they go, and they don't come back, basically. Right. Uh, the, the, the kickoff is delayed, delayed, delayed in this completely full stadium. And by this point, there's there's a deal of tension in the... How many people are there? About, about 18,000, 19,000. Leofodos okay. is not a massive stadium. It's very old... Right. And, and, and rickety right and um, bear in mind that we, we already know this tension we've been out filming around the um, stadium bef- before and um, we've seen security guards letting in Panathinaikos fans so they can stick flares under all the seats um, <laughs> yeah okay right good to have friends in high places <laughs> yeah it? it sure is yeah. and um, so anyway the, the stadium's very full very old fashioned I guess some people who are used to Premier League Stadiums would say probably quite unsafe. Yeah. Um, no away fans. And um, yeah, it, it's the, the tension such that, I mean, it's so full. You're not in I, the press I'm, box at this point. No, I'm, I, I, the because, I'm, in, I'm in an overflow bit beneath. Because a lot of the work the, you the do, you don't box, go press boxes, right? You just go into the, into the crowd, right? Sometimes. For, so, at the match, for example. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, but I'd, I'd been in the press box, like interviewing um uh, a, a colleague, a friend, uh, Graham Wood, for, uh, who who lives in Athens for for the film earlier, and he's he's writing on the game, so he's 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 got a, a place in the press box, and uh, we had to stop filming at one point because they had kind of given out too many passes for the press box, and there was there was a fight between a couple of blokes. So even the journalists are actually fighting. Place. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Any yeah. English journalists involved? No, I can no. think of a couple who might. <laughs> Not on this occasion. Fight, fight would have been over quicker. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but any, any, anyway, so there's 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 whispers that the the, the kickoff's been delayed. That Olympiakos are refusing to come out, and who could bloody blame them? And yeah, the, in, 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 the player in, wasn't injured, in presumably. No, no, no. I mean, the, the thing is, I remember speaking to John Amici, who played um, the basketball NBA. Yeah, in um, yeah, he, he played in Greece for a bit as well. Yeah. He, he played, oh, okay, right. Yeah, he played for Olympiakos, I think it was. And he said one of his teammates was uh, brushed with a flare once, except it made his really flammable tracksuit catch fire. Right. Wow, okay. So, That's dangerous, So y- Yeah, Finn Bogerson... Was it a shell suit? I guess Don't it, get them near a fire. I guess it must have been. Yeah. You know, he's, 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 a, he's a slightly older gentleman, so yeah. it's a, from a slightly different generation yeah. of tracksuits. But um, yeah, <laughs> Finn Bogerson got grazed, and I think that was about it. But so the uh, game, the tension's being ramped up because the delay of the kickoff keeps yeah, getting put back and back and yeah, back. And yeah, and so we're, we're, we're there, and it's about like 30 minutes since the game's meant to have been kicked off. There's a bit of whistling, a bit of tension in the crowd. And the, there's, there's uh, this bloke in front of me turns around and goes, goes to me, are you English? And I said, yes. He's a, he's a Greek gentleman. And he said, uh, my mate's just uh, been in touch and said they've announced on television that the game's off. So 
I'd, I'd, I'd put a tin hat on if I was you. Wow. Okay. And uh, th- then there's this announcement in Greek, and there's a lot of whistling. Seemingly everyone in the crowd lights a flare, man, woman, and child. And the police come and form a cordon um, in front of the home end. Now, then everyone starts like lobbing uh, flares and fireworks and what. They're have, in riot gear. Have you at the police? Yeah. Yeah. And um, then. After after the the ceremonial lobbing of the the, the pyro, um, some fans break out of some ultras break out of the home end, mm. and them and the police get stuck into each other for a good like fifteen minutes. Right, and, and then the ultras who are on the pitch start lobbing flares, and they're coming like closer and closer to us. And this ground is overfilled; like we can't get out. Basically, right, right. you're not wow. you're not going anywhere, and. One of the the police captains from the pitch beckons forward to some more police in the stand. You're going to have to come down and help us. And they're like, no, you're all right. (laughs) (laughs) Just stay up there. And the thing is, they're really quite close to us. And this is who the fans are are throwing the pyro at. They're throwing the the, the pyro, launching the pyro at the police in the stand. And you're in a situation where you're thinking, these police are far too close to us. You're trying to get away from the police. You're thinking, the closer I am, to the police, the less safe I am. And you're stuck. You're squeezed in, basically. Eventually, after about 50 minutes, we managed to get out of the stadium. We think, oh, we're all right. And so um, I go around to... that. They have a, a mix zone outside. A mix zone, to explain, is is a bit where after the players come out of the changing rooms at a stadium, they walk through this thing that's called a mix zone, this little tunnel, and they can stop and speak to you if they want, but they don't have to. Anyway, the mix zone there is presumably because of the Mediterranean weather and because it's a very old ground it's outside. outside. Yeah. And so um, I sort of uh, go out there to like meet my other colleagues who are in, in, in different parts of the, the ground and think they'll all come back there. And all of a sudden, these young Olympiacos, uh, young Panathinaikos fans emerge from behind a couple of wheelie bins and start throwing rocks at us. Wow. And okay. so we look towards the, the door to get back into the stadium, to, to get into the, the, the media bit. And the doorman like shuts the door and he's like, "No, you're on your own here, lads." Wow, really? Thanks. <laughs> Cheers for your help. And uh, eventually, these guys run off and and do something else, and everything's fine. But it's it kind of hairy for is, a bit. Is it surprising that that stuff still goes on? In what you said that was 2015. Yeah, yeah. We, f- we sort of feel we we think I think in in this country we think of those experiences as being experiences of yesteryear. You know, it's interesting yeah. that can still be found. So when I asked you earlier about is it been homogenized, the answer is to an extent, but not. In every part of Europe. No, I mean, you know, I, I guess Greece feels it's been left behind a, a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, we talked about um, the economic crisis, um, but also the, the fact that, you know, you've got a situation there with the Olympiakos where, and, and this is where the, the Champions League and the Champions League money has mm. skewed, not necessarily the top leagues, but the leagues that are a tier or two below. Mm. Because when you have like Olympiakos or Rosenborg or, or whatever, when a team wins the league, like, you know, 19 times out of 20, mm. I mean, I know there've been lots of corruption allegations made against Olympiakos over the years, but, you know, even even if that, that wasn't the case, the fact is that, you know, if, if you're getting the Champions League money year after year after year, mm. it's no wonder like the rest of the league like feels completely impotent you know it's, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a sort of self-fulfilling thing. How, how, do you, how do you think that's going to affect football going forward let's look to the future and, and so I'll, I'll ask you a bit about the state of football coverage and where you think that's going in a minute but in terms of football itself based on what you've just mentioned there 
What do you think that means for club football in the next generation? Well, I, th- I think in, in countries like Greece and, and Norway, you know, there's they've had to gradually wait for, you know, a fallow season or an implosion of, of mm. those clubs. And, you know, Olympiakos, for example, have had a, a, a tough couple of seasons. I mean, the thing is, because um, you've got so much money in, not not just the Premier League in terms of TV money, but you know, growing TV contracts in um, Spain and, and and France. Turkey's got quite a valuable TV contract as as, as well. Um, the fact is that Champions League money is, is still good. Of course, it's still a big deal, but Champions League money is not the big deal that it was. Right. Um, so, f- for example, where you look at the proponents of a, a a European Super League or whatever, or the the presumed proponents of a European Super League, um, it's, it's always been the same names at the top. Names that feel that they don't get enough out of the domestic market, like Bayern. Yeah. You know, Bayern, for example, were the club that, I don't know if people know, they were the club that earned the most out of the first decade of the Champions League mm. in terms of prize money, um, TV market share, all, all, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that opened their eyes to the the possibility of, you know, what more they could they could get out of it. But on, on the other hand, if you look at, say, Chelsea, when they last won the league and in a season when they're out of the Champions League um, under, under Antonio Conte, by just basically trading players, they made up the money that they would have got from the anyway, Champions yeah. League anyway. Yeah. And obviously the Premier League is so incredibly lucrative. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think the situations are very different for for different leagues and, and, and that's that's the concern. And what about um, <clears throat> the change in fandom over the years? Because we're starting to see, I think, people who, who support sporting events as more of a, it's seen as more of a... Spectacle? Yeah, I, I think, I, I don't, I don't yeah, want I lived in France for a couple of years. Right, okay, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to sort of, you know, cut across too many different sports, but I think, if you think about... If you want to talk about basketball, I'm happy with that. Oh, I wish I could, mate. I wish I could. <laughs> you know, a, a few examples I would use is, you know, horse racing, boxing, darts, um, to a certain extent, snooker as well. These mm. these are quite traditional British um, sports to, to follow. They've become... I mean, if you go to an Anthony Joshua boxing match now, the mm. people who watch an Anthony Joshua fight aren't the same people you see at York Hall in East London watching a, you know, a, a full boxing card of, of up-and-coming young boxers. What is it like more Vegas? It's just, it's just, it's just lads on the night out, girls not, girls not out, lads not out. It's much more um, broad, okay. And so football's become that, hasn't it? Football will go in that direction. Well, the, the, re- the, the reason that football hasn't gone in that direction, I mean, I'm sure there are a number of reasons, but the one that springs to mind for me is the alcohol ban, for example. Hmm. So you can't watch, you can't drink alcohol in view of the pitch in the UK, as we all know. Go to the Bundesliga. Um, you can to the Bundesliga, <laughs> absolutely. And, and again, you are positioned to tell us. If if that has it's happened in football in other European countries, but also if they were to reverse that ban, would we see a further extension of the fact that football is now supported? It's 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 a much more broadly supported um, game now, and people will think, oh, we attendances are down. They're not. Attendances are higher than they've ever been. Um, so we're talk- we're talking about actual in ground support rather rather than well i think i think it's support. i think it's everything i i think that football because is much more part of the culture now it is but that's that's as it used to be a part of counterculture of course yeah exactly and that's the thing isn't it like to me that's that's the major difference the fact that um when i was like 10 or 11 and you'd like be like sort of having a football based dispute with someone at school 
you would always go, do you go to the games? And they go, no. All right, your opinion doesn't count. Exactly. Then. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas that is no longer any sort of argument. No. Because A, loads of football's on television, so yeah. you, you can you know watch every game your team plays pretty much mm. with, with without leaving your house. And for, secondly, because, you know, you have to be fair and like, it's really bloody expensive here. You know, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people can't afford to go. Whether I would have gone regularly mm. when it, when I was a kid, if the prices were what they are now, pro rata, I don't think I would have been able oh, to. No, 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 I mean, I, I, I remember like, if we had, like, if Wimbledon had like two successive home games when I was a kid, I had to choose between them. And bear in mind, and now this is another thing that makes it sound 108, it cost £2.50 for me to for me to stand up when I when I first started actually going to the games in in 1987 and, and four quid for my dad and I remember like the first thing anyone asks you if you're a Wimbledon fan apart from oh so you support Wimbledon they're not MK Dons well obviously they're not Wimbledon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. is is did you go to the cup final in 1988 and I always have to go no because my mum said to me at the time uh, you're you're too young you're too young and Wembley's too big I was like eleven. Yeah. I think. And um the reality was I realized years later we couldn't afford it. Yeah. I mean I remember like getting the program where they uh, like I don't know it's some home game I think it was against Spurs in April and they announced the cup final prices they had them all in the program and uh it was like 8 quid for a terrace ticket and I remember thinking bloody hell yeah 8 quid <laughs> yeah. to stand up yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um yeah uh, that, whereas whereas now you know I, I was I was lucky. I got to go to most of the home games that season. Got the semi final against Luton as well. Quarter final against Watford. But but you know you know, you know that's that's but not the, something that would have been an option nowadays. And that that must be the case for a lot of people. So, yeah. many, so many but other. But the families. distinction I want to draw is the is the idea that you said in the first half of this that you know people know loads more about football and they do because the people you encounter when you cover European football are real European football enthusiasts, right? And and so they take a keen invested interest. But well, I, I, I think, think I think the casual fan knows a lot more. Do you? Okay, interesting. Okay, so that's against my 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 question then. Really, it's, it's a, well it's, because because I, I think like I was saying, going going back to the the, the, the playground. Do I think um, all of those kids wearing Barcelona or Paris Saint Germain shirts like religiously watch their games every week? Probably not. They're probably fans of of Messi. Yeah, or Neymar, and I think when you talk about changing fandom, that's part of it, isn't it? The 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 fact that the individual you have fans of the individual yeah, rather bigger, rather yeah, yeah. than yeah. necessarily the club nowadays. I mean, I mean, bloody hell, what you give to be Florentino Perez in in two thousand and three now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be amazing, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> He's ahead of his time. Have you ever had? Have you ever had the old? Um, you've never played the game from an ex pro. Yes. And he said afterwards, don't worry, I always say that when I run out of stuff to say. Who was it? You don't want to tell me? No, no. Okay. I, I'm, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I know who it was. I think I know who it was. You can't remember? No, I, I can't remember. But I think Is I that, do you think it's been a barrier to your work given that you didn't play the game? No, not really. Because I think um, we can assume as, as fans, the biggest mistake you, we can make is to assume that footballers live football like we do they yeah. don't yeah uh, there are very few of them some I mean, do actually Kylian Mbappe he's he's interesting I, I remember um, uh, interviewing him when he was he, he was at Monaco going to do a TV interview with him when he was at Monaco and he just you know I know, I know he's a teenager then I, I don't think he's changed that much now 
is just a, a fan who loves it so much, so much. Be like Gareth Bale, and, you'd say. And, well, I, 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 I don't know because I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know Gareth Bale at, at, at all. But um, the, all the people around Monaco were saying he talked talked to you about like actual nuts and bolts of football quite a lot. And, like, yeah, he knows uh, the stuff. Like, he watches every game, who? every game. He, he absolutely is a football obsessive. And on the other hand, I think it's quite normal if you think about it to have other footballers and there are quite a few of them who don't know every player who don't know every team because if it's your job if it's all consuming and it is a job albeit a very privileged and mm. a paid job why would you want to go home and watch it yeah you know yeah if, I know what you if, mean. if you've if you've got some if you've got some homework like you know the the coach says oh, i want you to watch this team that we're going to play in the champions league in 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 three weeks time well, presumably you'd have a video session at the club. You wouldn't go home and do it. You might, you know, yeah. cock off an idea at home. But you yeah. know, you've got to have a, a life as well, haven't you? Yeah. So I, I think really is 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 normal. I think for, for for players to be like that. What's the, who's the who's the sort of most difficult interview you've done? What's the most difficult situation you've had with a player? Hmm. You're so genial and so nice. I don't imagine it happens very often. That's a, that's a tough one. I can't I can't really remember being. No one's been a right shit to you, no. I can't really remember being coated off with a player. So sometimes they're a little bit disinterested. Yeah. Um, which I think is normal. Is you know a bit of a treadmill for them mm. sometimes. But um. But no one's been sort of outwardly rude. No, not 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 really, not really. Not even I mean, Cristiano. The people expect that from him. I've always found him to be very. I've interviewed him on a number of occasions. I've always found him to be very. Like friendly, more friendly than he, he he has to be. Like you know, pretty nice. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is another surprising one because I, I think like people forget sometimes that he's he's playing the character of Zlatan. Yeah, you know, it, sure. it, it is. It's it's a bit like WWF, really. Yeah, you know, this whole villain persona. Whereas in in fact, he's very polite and engaging and. But with Cristiano, for example, you spent a lot of time with the Portuguese national team, yeah. lots of tournaments. So presumably, he will remember and recognise you and realise that you've never really stiffed him. So he's got a bit of a trust with you there. Well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> you, you know, I, I think he literally has taken a, a interview as microphone and chucked it, chucked it into a river before. So he's definitely got it in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he has, he has. I've, from what I've been led to believe, that wasn't entirely undeserved. No, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't. You know. <laughs> But there are ways of, there are, I presume, uh, the counterpoint to that would probably just be that you just, you just ignore him. But it's easy for me to say, isn't it? Yeah. I, I've always disappointed that he didn't kick it into the lake. Mm. Well, just very quickly, because we, we, yeah, quite, quite with his left foot. Yeah. We, 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 we run out of time, but just very, very quickly, I mentioned there that you spent a lot of time with the Portuguese national team. And, and for those who don't know, um, you, you are seconded to, to spend time with them in, in international tournaments. You, you mm. recently did the World Cup and you've done the Euros before as well, I think. Um, what does that involve? Does that mean you, you are the official sanctioned journalist who travels with the team and you are among the camp and you speak to them on a daily basis? Well, basically, what they do as um, part of the part of the deal for for broadcasters, like not every broadcaster, you know, we talked about the, the difference between different countries and different resources. Not everyone can send a reporter to follow every team. And, yeah. And also, if... Every nation did send us. Every broadcasting nation did send a, a reporter. You'd have like nine hundred journalists yeah. uh, training or whatever. So basically, there's a camera crew that stays with the team that um, records them training every day and does interviews. And if, if you're like um, 
a rights holder, say if you're the BBC or ITV or, you know, Turkish or Albanian equivalent, you uh, have the right to go into this big digital locker where we dump all the stuff and you say, yeah, I'd like to see um, uh, William Cavalli running out around a pitch or Pepe and... Um, Cristiano larking about, or and whatever. the squad themselves put different players up every day. Yeah, yeah, and and so so that's what you do. It's a very interesting, very different way of um, covering a major tournament because, like for example, like with Portugal this summer, we uh, were at them. We were staying near them. We filmed the train every day. We spoke to the players every day, and then we fly off with them on the same charter flight to go to the games and all, all the rest of it it's it's a yeah really different to like your main job of like your regular job of like reporting um different it's almost uh, like you're inside the tent and stuff. rather than yeah, outside the tent trying to get a in little, there yeah. a little yeah. and um so for, for example when you have to be down there ready to interview the players uh, or a player as soon as they come off the pitch you you might be needed immediately you're mm. likely to be needed like fairly quickly so with 10 minutes to go you come down from the stand and um go and uh, wait in the flash area that's 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 what they call it and so um for example the first game of the world cup is they wouldn't Portugal. call it the flash area of don Hutchinson was in the screen <laughs> <laughs> the, the the first um the game of the World Cup was obviously Portugal versus Spain, that fantastic 3-3 draw in Sochi. So at 3-2 to Spain, I have to go downstairs and it's all still live. And sometimes in certain stadiums, it can be quite difficult to find a monitor yeah. that's actually showing it. Mm. And the thing is, it was such a, a, a great game. I was like at the cusp of the tunnel and I, I, it, was, it, it, it was there on a little monitor, but I got sort of drawn further and further up the tunnel and I just like, crept up the tunnel and I was just behind the sideline when Cristiano Ronaldo scored that free kick equaliser. So I got to see it there and it's, it's, it was amazing, the difference mm. in atmosphere mm. because, you know, you look on on people's faces from the coaching staff, the substitutes, the people who have to deal with the media who work out how they're going to deal with the media if their team have lost yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and all that sort of stuff. And like up in the stands... I mean, we talked about football as a, a spectacle because there are like relatively few travelling Portuguese and Spanish fans. Yeah, the atmosphere was you know appreciative, but it wasn't like white hot or anything like that. Yeah, and so the atmosphere in the stands compared to that tension on the touchline was it was it was incredible. It was one of my best experiences. Did of, you get Cristiano of, afterwards of the World Cup? Yeah, okay. and um, yeah, but seeing him score the free kick from right down sort of behind the touchline was, was fantastic. And did the kid growing up on the South London Council State think that he'd be in that position in the summer of 2018? No, well, he didn't think he'd be in Russia. No, no, no. But, um, yeah. So it's, it's been an it's, amazing journey. It's, it's amazing, yeah. yeah. L- little me would have appreciated it. Well, little me would have had his mind blown, actually. Yeah. I, I don't think, because like I said, when, when we were little, I, I think I flew twice before I was 18. So it, it's, it's very, again, it's very different now. You do sound like an old man when you say the world has changed, but the world has changed. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you look at like flying's no longer an elite thing. Mm. You know, if say, say for example, I, I wanted to go and see Bayern play or Dortmund play, you know, mm. 50 quid of, of, of plane ticket later, you're there. 
Yeah, it's, not, uh, yeah, it's different though. It's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's totally, it's totally different. Listen, mate, you, Andy Brussel, you are a humble man, and I know you don't particularly like talking about yourself too much. Very different to me and to a lot of <laughs> other people I speak to. But you've done a great job. Thank you very much for your time. Um, you. I hope people found that interesting uh, behind the uh, behind the scenes of one of the finest football journalists working today. In my opinion, that is a personal opinion, and the opinion I'm sure that is shared by everyone listening to this. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you on on the continent again very soon. Thank you. Look forward to it. This episode of Ramble Meets was sponsored by Bet365. This was a Radio Stakhanov production.